But it seems that in those days there was more of a legal force behind it. It, it was stronger than our engagement's pretty strong, but uh, engagements can be broken, uh, as happens. But there was sort of more of a legal force behind this betrothal in, in Israel. So Joseph and Mary were betrothed to each other. Uh, now, <coughs> Mary knows that she is pregnant. Uh, before coming together with Joseph, so Joseph is in a dilemma about what to do about Mary. Scripture says he was a just man, and he did not want to put her up to public ridicule. Also, uh, it seems, as we know from other scriptures, there could have been the possibility of stoning here. Uh, and Joseph, Joseph loved Mary. Even in this situation, he did not want her to be stoned. Joseph also wanted to save her from public ridicule. So if Mary had not been stoned, she would have been put up as uh, this kind of person. And, uh, and the, the culture in that day was not the culture of our day. So there, would, there was just a stronger prohibition against this sort of thing. And Joseph wanted to preserve Mary from that. <coughs> the scripture says in her husband, Joseph being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly or in secret. So Joseph's merciful heart toward Mary, as you can see, was better than the Pharisees. Uh, in a similar situation, all the Pharisees could think about was stoning this person. Uh, that was their remedy. Joseph <clears throat> wants to show mercy toward Mary. So, Joseph's love and compassion for Mary causes him to desire to protect Mary from stoning and not to hold her up at least to public ridicule. But how is he to do it? So as we read, after these things, an angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. Scripture says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So three things, really, that the angel communicates to Joseph here. Number one, take Mary as your wife. Go ahead and marry her, basically. Number two, the conception of Mary is by the Holy Spirit. That is, she has not been unfaithful to you. And number three, the angel gives Joseph the responsibility of naming Jesus, which implies Joseph's legal authority over Jesus. So basically, that's what's happening. I mean, the angel is saying, well, okay, as far as Israel knows, Joseph is the father. He has legal authority over Jesus. Now, the name Jesus is from the Old Testament translation that we have of Joshua which means Yahweh saves so this is an appropriate prophetic name for Jesus Yahweh saves Jesus he, the angel told Mary that first same thing you shall name him Jesus now he tells Joseph you shall name him Jesus so Joseph has this legal authority Joseph then takes Mary as his wife and as the scripture says uh, Joseph 
did not have sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus was born. So Joseph takes Mary into his house. It would obviously appear, to me at least, that they were normal husband and wife. I mean, that's what I would think. So this provides protection for Mary and an opportunity of faith for us. To all appearances to the people of that day, Jesus was conceived by normal human reproduction. She was living in Joseph's house. Um, But Joseph and Mary and Matthew and Luke and no doubt all the apostles knew the truth. So to the citizens of that day, Mary appeared as a mother of children in good standing in the Jewish community. And with a regularized marriage with Joseph, she was not branded as a prostitute or as a loose woman. And so today, this mystery of Christ is still protected. In other words, uh, a person might say, and very well might, that, well, Jesus was conceived by normal human reproduction. He, she lived with Joseph for, since that time, so this is obvious. But to his loved ones, through the scripture, God reveals a great and glorious mystery concerning the birth of Jesus, that he was actually not conceived by normal human relationships, but he was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Only his loved ones know. I have met Christians. I think, who am I to know? I mean, I think, as far as I can know, born-again folks. Uh, who deny the virgin birth of Christ. I don't really know why. I mean, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, I mean, why would you deny the virgin birth? But I'm just saying, God still leaves it up to us. We have the option to believe or not to believe. So God protects Mary in this way. Second heading. The conception of the body of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, or was through the Virgin Mary. Now I'm going to look at some other Old Testament passages that hint, I think, at the virgin birth of Jesus, excluding right now Isaiah 7.14, which is the classic that we just read, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So let's look at some other Old Testament pointers toward the virgin birth of the Son of God. Uh, I I have this written down. You don't have to look it up, but I'll give you the references. I'd like to look at the book of Genesis in chapter 3, particularly verses 14 and 15, which says this. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15, of course, the classic evangelical passage that someone is coming into the world that will undo the works of the devil. This is an early prophecy about that. But I'm interested here in the seed of the woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. After this, in Scripture, the seed or the offspring that comes into the world, the seed is always attributed to the man. For instance, 
to Abraham and to his seed where the promise is given, his descendants. It's put that way, except in this one case in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Uh, well, it seems to me that this is an oblique reference to the virgin birth of the Messiah, that there's going to be one born of the woman's seed, not the man's. Um, and he comes into the world. It seems to me that Eve, in some way, perhaps very dimly, understood this prophecy that God was making, that God would send one into the world through a woman who would solve the problem of our sin and our separation from God. So we read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, Now Adam knew his wife, and now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, I must say, in this passage here in Genesis 4.1, that these words, with the help of, are not in the Hebrew text. The translators thought they would give us, do us a favor and help us to understand. So they put them in there. Uh, the, the Hebrew reading is actually, I have gotten a man, Yahweh, or the force of it is, I have gotten a man, the Yahweh himself is the force of it. Now, this reading is confirmed by particularly many of the older Bible scholars, including James Pettigrew Boyce, who was the founder of the Southern Baptist Seminary, as we know it today. This reading is also given as a marginal reading in the New American Standard Bible. I have gotten a man, the Lord. Uh, I, I don't know if I should go into technical stuff here or not. <laughs> Let me do three <coughs> some technical stuff, and then we'll go on to the good stuff. There's a little Hebrew word called et, E-T, or sometimes et, E-T-H, and it's used as a pointer toward an object. For instance, <clears throat> I knew a man, or I know a man, et Chris, is the way the Hebrew would say it. In other words, I know Chris, but that et points to the object that I'm talking about. All right, this word is used throughout the Old Testament, this little per- particle. <clears throat> Sometimes, indeed, it does have the sense of with the help of or with, with the means of. Sometimes it does have that sense. James Pettigrew Boy says that this little particle is used 289 times in the Old Testament before it ever has this, worse of, this force of with the help of. The first 289 times that this word is used in the Old Testament it means I'm talking about an object. I'm talking about a direct object here. That's what it means. Boys, New American Standard, therefore say, I have gotten a man, Yahweh. That's Eve's words. Now, Eve was wrong about Cain being the Messiah, but it seems to me that this shows that Eve's mentality was God is going to do something to Eve to solve our situation here. He's going to do something. There's going to be a person or a man born into the world that's going to do this. Yes, Cain, this is it. Well, no, not not yet. But it seems to me that Eve is on track with the gospel, as as it were. One is coming into the world in a special way through the woman, and he will help us out of our dilemma. King Solomon also hints at this in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5, which I read, As you do not know the way of the Spirit, 
the way the spirit comes to the bones and the womb of a woman with child so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Well, I agree. So uh, the scripture says, and I confirm, given the weakness of my mind, that I do not stand nor do I desire to inquire into the virgin birth of Christ. How did it happen? Who knows? For that matter, how did the birth of my children happen? I mean, I know, but I mean, think about it. I mean, hard bones are being formed in the womb of a woman. I mean, how does that happen? Uh, it's, it's like a miracle in a way, you know, even more so with the virgin birth of Christ. Can we inquire into it? Well, you can, but I don't think you're going to get very far. Scripture just says this happened through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't know. The point, if a skeptic should ask how did this happen, well, I'm sure I don't know. But I'm not sure the skeptic knows about human birth either, how really that happens. It seems miraculous in a way. So, the point then in the virgin birth of Christ, the Son of God took up flesh in the womb of Mary. His body, Jesus of Nazareth, his body is not from eternity. In other words, in eternity past, if we can think about this, the body of Jesus of Nazareth was not in the Trinity, if we could say that. But the Son of God, of course, is from eternity. So when we see Christ in his body, as he is in heaven today, we shall be like him, says the scripture. So in the resurrection, we shall worship him from our glorified bodies into his glorified body, which he assumed from the Virgin Mary. But I'm getting ahead of the story. The scripture speaks of two captains in Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> They're two leaders of the human race whose actions have profoundly affected all of us. These two captains are Adam and Christ. <clears throat> Through the action of Adam, one sin, we see all the death and disaster that surrounds us. We're all affected by that one action of Adam. Uh, the scripture in Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. So through that one sin of Adam, can you imagine? He ate some kind of fruit, I mean. But that wasn't really the point. I mean, the point was disobedience. Through that one sin, we do see death and disaster which haunt and rule our planet. This should give me a more adequate thought about the holiness of God. God, friends, hates sin. How do, we, how do I know? Because I am going to die. I'm going to pay my wages unless Christ comes back first. This is, this more I think about it has become almost unbelievable to me. Think of, think of the war in Ukraine today. Hundreds of thousands on both sides dying. Dying. One sin. One sin. And we see sickness, COVID, death, 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 death. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. We all pay our wages. Well, we're all descendants of that one man, Adam, who did that one sin. And so death entered into our world. And sin entered into our world. God is holy 
And we will not escape scot-free. Unless we see him coming in the air. And we, maybe, maybe we can go up that way. <laughs> there is another captain, however. Adam is one of these captains in Romans 5. The other captain is Christ. The God-man through the Virgin Mary, whose perfect life and perfect obedience and sacrificial death have brought many sons to glory. So we have these two, Adam and Adam all die. In Christ, all shall be made alive. So the action of these two captains greatly affects us as human beings and our whole human race. The virgin birth then, through Mary, protected Jesus as Chris mentioned, from inheriting the sin nature that we have, as Paul explains in Romans 7. Christ is the perfect sacrifice for sin. He is spotless. He committed no sin, nor does he even have a tendency to sin that unfortunately I must confess that I do have. And this is another inheritance that I have received from my father, Adam. Again, Chris mentioned, this is the necessity of the virgin birth. The virgin birth protects the body of Christ from inheriting that sin from Adam. He's sinless. So, the man Jesus of Nazareth comes into existence in the womb of Mary. God the Son, however, is from all eternity and does not come into existence at conception. But rather, he is given into the womb of Mary. That is why the prophet Isaiah states that unto us a child is born, but unto us the son is given. Jesus of Nazareth is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, but the eternal God the Son is given from heaven to earth. This is why the early theologians said that he took up flesh. So now we have the great mystery of the Incarnation. Jesus of Nazareth, who indeed is the God-man, truly God, truly man, 100% man, 100% God, without confusion, without separation, without mixture, and so forth as the creed informs us. Number three, the comprehensiveness of Old Testament wisdom. The schools of wise men associated with Solomon discussed and passed down counsel for us about the course of life, how to do good and to avoid evil. Ecclesiastes and Proverbs are prime examples of this. The culmination of the search of these wise men ended in the sun. <clears throat> the original wise man, it seems to me, at least reported in Scripture, is Job. You all know the story. Job was a righteous man, but yet he undergoes all this amazing suffering and so forth and desertion by his friends, desertion by his wife. Can you imagine? His suffering was so terrible. But Job never curses God. And it seems in the book of Job, as it goes on, he's seeking to try to understand his case. He's trying to understand what's going on. He's searching for wisdom. Job finally comes up with the statement that what we really need is a mediator who can put his hand on God and on us and can mediate. Only a man who is God could do this. As Job agonizes about his case with God, he says, but how can a man be in the right before God? 
If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him once in a thousand times. But later, Job adds, for God is not a man like I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Or the, what, Job, what Job is saying is, I really need a mediator who can put his hand on me and put his hand on God and mediate my case. <clears throat> Only the mediator or an arbiter could do this. Following this trail of wisdom thinking in the Old Testament and the need for a mediator, uh, we come to the culmination, I think, of the wisdom school uh, in the Old Testament, which I find in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 4, in which the wise men are playing with each other, the wisdom game here. Uh, they say they're being... They're, this wise man says he's really more stupid than anybody else. Don't believe it. I mean, he's playing a game with us here. <clears throat> the words of Agur, son of Jake, the oracle, the man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth, what is his name, and what is his son's name, surely you know. So the end of the wisdom discussion, it seems to me in the Old Testament, is the wise men are asking each other, what is the name of the Son of God? So in terms of all their wisdom pursuit, they are coming up with the idea, yes, there is God the Son, and what is his name? Nobody knows uh, until the angel informs Mary, you shall call his name Jesus, and then we know. The end of the Old Testament search for wisdom. So the mystery is solved then in the incarnation through the virgin birth of Jesus and the angel and yea, Joseph and Mary give him his name. Jesus is also the name of the wisdom of God in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, Paul identifies Jesus as the wisdom of God. So the Old Testament search for wisdom reaches its completion and its pinnacle in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Fourth heading, the completion of prophecy. <clears throat> Matthew tells us, as we've just read in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he reads this uh, prophecy of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So let me, let me read again. This is Isaiah 7, uh, beginning at uh, maybe 10, and going through a few verses there. Isaiah 7, beginning with 10. Uh, the context here is that Ahaz, King Ahaz, is terrified about a potential invasion of Judah by Syria and Israel. They've made common cause together about to come down and wipe Judah out. And he's terrified. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. This is Isaiah 7.10. Ask a sign of the Lord your God that it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, now Ahaz is going to be super spiritual now, okay? I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Oh, great. Oh, thank you, Ahaz, for
for your spiritual approach. <clears throat> but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, this is Isaiah, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So prophecy in Isaiah. Uh, the prophecy then here in Isaiah uh, has, it seems to me, a double fulfillment. Hence the controversy, as Chris has mentioned, over the word in the Hebrew text. The word in the Hebrew text is Alma. It means, it means young woman of marriageable age, but its usage in Scripture is usually toward virginity. It's usually toward that. However, here in Isaiah, the immediate fulfillment of prophecy is to Ahaz, the king of Judah, who is desperately worried about an upcoming invasion by Syria and the forces of Israel against Judah. Isaiah says, ask for a sign. Super spiritual Ahaz says, oh no, I couldn't do that. And Isaiah says, therefore God will give you a sign anyway. Behold, before this child, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that very much. We can quote it. It goes on, before this child... And this is probably Isaiah's son. If you'll go ahead and read chapter 8, it's probably that son of Isaiah. Before this boy knows how to choose good or evil, or he can say even my father or, or my mother, the threat will be over. So fulfillment number one, this young woman bears a son, and before this son can even say my father or my, my mother, this military threat is going to vanish. You're okay. Fulfillment number one. Fulfillment number two this is quoted in the New Testament in Matthew. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As Chris has mentioned, this is the, the actual wording from the Septuagint. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So the prophecy in Isaiah has an immediate fulfillment but a further fulfillment in the future. The Septuagint translates this word as virgin so that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, Matthew based on his knowledge of the story of Jesus' birth, which he knew that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, uses the Septuagint translation, which is, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and cause his name, call his name Emmanuel. So that's the second fulfillment, way out there in the future with the birth of Jesus. So, <clears throat> the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. <clears throat> Never fear, God is with us. We believe in Jesus and he will save us. Not only in this life, but also in the next. Just as the Holy Spirit conceived the body of Jesus in the womb of Mary, so he leads and motivates us to live the life of Jesus in the midst of our cursed, as it were, and dying world. We continue to shine like lights in the darkness. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Mm -hmm.